Hello everybody and welcome to the this week's episode, the eighth episode of the Ollie Patrick Show. In today's episode, we'll be looking at the new Formula One season. Just had the first two practice sessions today, so you know they'll be mentioned a little bit and just looking up looking at the drivers you know the changes that have been made and just a bit of a preview to the season something I'm quite a big fan of so that's what we'll be talking about in this episode and we'll head straight into it I suppose the first thing to mention about the new Formula One season is, I mean, it depends how familiar you are with it. Fastest cars in the world, or at least in terms of going around around a track, top speed wise, probably not. But in terms of the competitive one seater racing category, it's the fastest. It's the kind of premier of it all, and that is kind of why. I'm personally a fan of it. Why I watch? I don't watch too much other um, stuff. I've been watching Formula E a bit more recently because it's quite tight there, which is what the regulation changes that they've put in into effect for this season are meant to be doing. So far, actually, from FP1 in particular, the midfield was very congested. Point four of a second between many many of the cars, and it is fairly similar to that in FP two. Scrolling down the results now, so it'll be closer. I think some of the stuff I have mentioned actually in the practice coverage will be. It'll be interesting to see how this would unfold in a race if the midfield is closer to the front runners lapping, even if it's one point five one second slower the front cars will not necessarily have a window to pit into if you follow what i'm saying so before last season they could quite easily i don't know like they'd be 30 seconds or something ahead of seventh place maybe um but i don't know lap 15 lap 16 or something and then they'd just pit for new tires into that gap if the midfield's closer then there's not necessarily a gap to do that how f1 works they're on different tires Different tyres of better levels of durability and grip. So the midfield would be more likely to start on the more durable tyres. So, you know, it all comes into play. That's kind of why I like F1 in a way, but you know, the politics of it and stuff. I've been watching F1 since, I think, about 2009. Actually, it's about 10 years now, so I'm quite knowledgeable of it, I like to say. I mean, maybe not so much of the specifics of the cars, but I know, you know, I know a lot of the... I know a lot of it, basically. I mean, I don't think anyone really knows for techni- technicalities as well. So, you know, that's pretty much it on that score. I think, yeah, we'll talk about the drivers now. Many changes. I'm, I'll am i probably do two main segments again for this episode. I'll try to make it a bit, a bit short. I think it's better overall. Talk about the drivers. Last season, Vettel did kind of lose it for himself, or at least... I mean, Hamilton was exceptional last season. I'm more of a Ferrari fan and therefore Vettel fan, although the main reason I started liking Ferrari more in the last few years was because they were the only team capable capable of challenging Mercedes, who I don't really like. I'm not a massive fan of Hamilton, but I do respect him a lot. And the last two seasons, even though I would have wanted Vettel to win, he has deserved to win it, and I'm not overly... I respect his pace. He's very relentless. Doesn't make mistakes, and that's kind of what Vettel did last season. That's why he kind of lost it, really. And there was a mix of other things in there, but it, you know, Vettel did make some silly mistakes toward the end of last season. The interesting thing with Australia is, I think, unless he's raced there between now and last year, I think Leclerc has only driven around. Melbourne, the track, of course, on one occasion before, at least one set of occasions before, which was last year. So I think the first race is going to be very interesting to see how Leclerc does 
and how he performs next to Vettel because I honestly think if he were to beat Vettel in Australia, especially not being as familiar with it as the four-time world champion, I think that would really... It's all about momentum, really. I think that would swing it in Leclerc's way quite a bit and put Vettel under pressure. So far, before the season has already begun, Ferrari, their team principal, I think Benottia, Mattia Benotto, something along those lines, who was in the technical, technical department before they... Well, fired or either better, I suppose, before the performances last year, which I was kind of... I quite liked Riva Bene, but I think overall it's probably the right decision to probably let him go and bring someone else in, especially with Leclerc also coming in as well. I mean, that also does remove Vettel's kind of safety blanket of Raikkonen. I think they were saying on Sky Sports F1 that Vettel... It's kind of relishing, might be relishing the challenge. I'm not sure necessarily he is. I mean, I do like Vettel a lot, but I mean, he obviously wanted Raikkonen to stay at the team. He didn't really want to be challenged by anyone, so he probably doesn't want the the Ricardo situation happening again, really. But yeah, I mean, if Leclerc is able to outperform Vettel this weekend, I think that's quite a dangerous precursor for Vettel I think he kind of needs to prove his quality this year because Hamilton's kind of gave him a bit of a whipping in the last few years Mercedes only one of two teams not to have changed their driver lineup for the season along with Haas they've kept Hamilton and Bottas in their seats which isn't necessarily a good or bad thing I think it might give them a bit of an edge in the first few races since they have a familiar driver lineup to last year, but I, I mean, I personally would have liked to see Ocon instead of Bottas, and it would have been quite cool to see all the top three teams, Ferrari, Mercedes, and Red Bull, have at least one new driver. They would have all had one new driver, so that would have been quite cool. And then I think Mercedes would lose a little bit of ground on them, a little bit of ground on those two other teams next season when they put Ocon in, but. You know, Ocon is a very good driver. Hopefully he'll come back next year. I don't know where Bottas would go, but... But, I mean, Bottas already looks... <laughs> he's grown facial hair. He's, you know, he was a bit out of sorts towards the end of last season. So whether or not that will play a part in how he starts the season. I think he's a decent driver. I'm a bit anti him because he basically... Nearly took out Vettel in Hungary. And I think he was doing... He was, he was generally doing a lot of stupid stuff, I think, after the midway point. He, I think, did something to Ricardo as well in Hungary. And I think there was a few other things he did which, which were a bit reckless. And I think, even though it wasn't overly stated, he was... As much as Raikkonen was a second driver for Ferrari, in terms of... Vettel was given preference. I think Hamilton was given preference over Bottas quite a bit as well. I can't remember when it was. They used team orders at some point last season and Bottas just kind of was happy to do it really compliant. A bit more... Yeah. He doesn't really show much backbone, I suppose, if I'm being a bit critical. Boy, I don't really like him too much. There's another word I could use, but... I better keep the curse words to a minimum. But, I mean, Mercedes are looking quite strong from various pacing. I mean, Hamilton said various things like, oh, we're not very fast, oh, you know, what, you know, Ferrari are faster than us, and all, these, all this rhetoric. But Hamilton says this every year at some point, or he he plays down his and Mercedes' chances on multiple occasions. So it's nothing new and it's not a surprise to me really that Mercedes seem to have the better pace at the moment. I mean, I hope that Ferrari particularly are hiding a little bit because, you know, F1, they do like to hide their pace, you know, ways to hide pace, just, you know, we don't know what fuel 
loads they're running in practice and stuff. Obviously, the more fuel, the more weight is on the car, and therefore the slower it goes, pretty much along those lines, and various things. I mean, I think the Ferrari, from what they've noted, seems to be easier to drive, whilst the Mercedes is a bit more rigid and a little bit harsher on the floor and various things. But yeah, Mercedes basically do still seem to have the pace. Um, a bit disappointing, but then they were never. It was never going to be a situation where you know, as much as I would have liked it to be that Mercedes were like somehow going to be, you know, eighth or ninth. You know, like, you know, you know, down the order. So, it's to be expected, really. And as a hopefully Ferrari keeping it back a little bit. I mean, I, I'd, I'd be quite disappointed if Hamilton or Bottas. Oh, I don't know why I'm saying all Bottas because Hamilton's quite a bit better than Bottas. Um, if Hamilton was on pole in Q3 and it's first, then it'd be a bit disappointing. But let's see what happens. I mean, it will be interesting. I, I've got a bit of a bad feeling when Vettel will crash in the first corner or first lap or something. But and that's what it's all about. The first race of the season. Don't make any mistakes into that first corner. It'll be interesting regardless because there's so many new drivers on the grid for this year. So they're familiar with racing, but not so much with the actual process of racing an F1 car wheel to wheel. So I do expect it to be a little bit hectic and maybe some incidents into the first corner. And Kubica also back. He's not driven real wheel-to-wheel in a car for many, many years in terms of an F1 car. So it's an interesting point there. But I think that's a good time to move on to the next segment where I'll probably talk about the drivers a bit more. And, yeah, I suppose, (laughs) as you can tell, I'm freestyling it a little bit. So, you know, I can talk about F1 quite easily. So that's just basically what this is. So yeah, move on to the next segment. The two uh, segment is a bit shorter than I thought it was, but I think I try not to make this too long. I think I mean most of this is you know quite well known stuff, but you know this will be more my opinion now of the drivers. And I suppose I'll make some predictions over who is going to be the faster, more productive driver throughout the course of the season between the two. I suppose it only makes sense to start off at the bottom of the grid with Williams, I suppose, although the F1 website has Racing Point. I was about to say Force India, but no, it is Racing Point, renamed for the 2019 season. And I suppose, well, Racing Point or Williams doesn't really matter. Well, I'll talk about Racing Point since the bottom of the list. Of course, they were taken over like, last year. I can't remember when exactly. Um, declared, I think, bankrupt at one point. And then Lance Stroll, who's partnering Sergio Perez, the Mexican, at the team. Yeah, Lance Stroll's father came in and I think led a consortium, a group of businessmen and brought the team. So they've got more investment. I think they're quite well kind of known for being very good on the technical side, despite having limited resources in the past. You know, able to bring their car forward. You know, I think they're, looks like they're, you know, kind of low mid, mid table based on FP1 and FP2, three packs practice sessions that were held on the 15th of March the day the episode was distributed but they could certainly make some jumps forward I mean I think from trying not to get sidetracked too much but I think the only teams who look like they've made a jump in terms of placement in the field is probably Sauber they look like they could be full fast as possibly with Kimi Raikkonen and Antonio and Antonio Giovinazzi is their drivers. Renault look 
you know, stronger. But, you know, it's, again, it's very difficult to tell until actual qualifying when the cars will be going at, you know, optimum speed. They'll be going as fast as possible, obviously, to get the highest they can up the grid. And even, you know, with how, you know, if if, if qualifying as practice has been, if it's very tight, a couple of, you know, like even, you know, milliseconds, you know, point zero zero one of a second, you know, some of that might separate some of these cars. So it might come down to driver error anyway. It might come down to the drivers more anyway. So even that might disguise the pace of the cars. But Alfa Romeo Sauber, well, actually, if I can call them Sauber anymore, excuse my language, um, they were also renamed um, for this season. They are Alfa Romeo Racing for the 2019 season as well. But they look strong. They've, I think, still got a bit of partnership with Ferrari. And they've also got the support of Alfa Romeo. I'm not sure in what context exactly. Probably some of it is financial. So, I mean, Red Bull Race and Honda were third and fourth in FP2 with Pierre Gasly not too far off his teammate Max Verstappen as well. So it's it's very difficult to say until qualifying, but the teams generally look like they're in a similar pecking order to last season. But Red Bull, compared to where they've started previous seasons, are very much closer to the Merck and the Prancing Horse. So it could be quite interesting. And they've generally probably made better progress on their cars in the last few years than those two teams have. So, I mean, F1, of course, is a development race teams are able to upgrade their car throughout a season and yet to maximize what they can do in the 21 races which are available which run from the 15th of march to the 1st of december it's a long season most races two weeks apart um yeah it goes on for a while basically (laughs) it's you know it's every race matters but you're not out of it if you struggle in one race but then i do still think you know Hamilton, Vettel, Verstappen, they all want to finish in Australia well. I, I do so every point matters, especially since Hamilton is just relentless. I, you know, like, it, it'll be hard for someone to beat him this season unless he struggles with the car changes and, you know, whatever, tighter racing, you know, maybe that'll catch a few of them out, you know. But Hamilton is the best of the best. He's the so support pole that all that they're all trying to get to the top of the clerk might be the closest to threatening him to be honest but yeah racing point there <laughs> and ended up on a bit of a tangent still f1 related that's not too bad um i'd expect perez to be faster than stroll throughout the season i think probably for obvious reasons Lance stroll is really only in the team because his father that said lance stroll has he's not a bad driver he, you know, he has some potential. You know, he's a good younger driver, but you can't disguise the fact that he's where he is because of his father in that team. And and I mean, regardless of that, Sergio Perez is a very accomplished and highly rated driver. He's one of those that, despite not really being kind of of interest to the big teams, I think that's for me because of his temperament. Um. I think it was last was it I can't remember if it was last year or the year before, but you had the problem with um I think they wanted him I I think it was in Canada last in twenty seventeen. They wanted him to move aside for Ocon and he was complaining about it, so he basically didn't listen to the team and um do team orders as they wanted, which team orders are legal. And if one by that, you know, is basically meaning if a, if a Formula One team has a car, for example, in P1 and P2, first and second, if they want to, they can move the second place driver up to first. It, team orders don't generally happen as much in the start of the season, but later on when... Um, the driver's standings become a bit more clear and one driver's like 50 points ahead of the other and they're trying to maximise positioning in the driver's championship and that's what we'll do to help one of them out. 
I mean, the thing with F1 is that even though the constructors is important, basically just the teams, how many points they get, the drivers' championships, the more important, really. So, but yeah, you'd expect Perez to be ahead of Stroll. I think it would be certainly be a big surprise if Stroll wasn't, to be honest. Really, but I mean, I think even if Stroll was close to Perez, then he's done a good job, to be honest. The Mexican is a very good driver. I mean, as I said, he's never really. It doesn't look like he'll get a shot at a big team again, but I mean, he might have gone to Ferrari, but I think, as I said, his temperament, you know, wouldn't have probably suited him to it, because if, if he were to go to Ferrari, they would have wanted him in a Bottas type role as the second driver, and I don't think he'd. He'd want to maybe do that as much, but... <clears throat> well, Williams now, they look very off the pace. They did struggle in testing in Barcelona a fair few weeks ago. They missed a lot of the day's testing there, so they ran less laps, which is a bit of a blow to performance. They were the worst team last year by quite a distance, so they've got a lot of ground to make up. Um, I don't think anyone really expects them to be anything but at the back of the grid, which is a, a real shame because, you know, you want Robert Kubica coming back from many, many years away, having that near-fatal rally accident. And I think, I can't, I don't know what exactly, I mean, he lost some kind of element of his hand so he's had to, I think, have the steering wheel especially adapted and stuff like that. I think he's just lost a bit of strength in his hand, pretty much. So, you know, challenge for him. But I mean, hopefully he obviously does well. It's a great story to see him back. And then you've got George Russell in the other seat. I think second in F2 last season, which is kind of a tier below F1. Um... But I mean, hopefully, I mean, it's hard. It's on. It's really hard to say how quick Kubica will be and how quick George Russell will be. I mean, even though Kubica has been around for a good while, they're new kind of drivers. But you know, hopefully Williams will improve. I mean, I'm not. I I always think, and they tend to say a lot of kind of like stuff, which is quite kind of like, oh, why. Oh, it's really such a shame that Williams, you know, McLaren are at the back of the grid. But someone has to be at the back of back of the grid. And in my view, I'd rather it be someone like Williams or McLaren where they have the history. And I don't know so much about Williams. I don't think they have that much money. But McLaren are quite, have quite a lot of money. So it's I'd rather it be one of those teams with a bit more financial support than... Someone like, I don't know, um, Racing Point, I was about to say Force India, or, you know, Haas. A team that, if they were at the back of the grid for like a few years, they'd be more likely to quit. Although, I don't know if William, Williams probably could do it at some point, but I don't know. <clears throat> Basically, you need someone at the back of the grid. Like, someone's got to be last. You know, that's sport, really. On to Torosso, and another interesting story actually is a Torosso, the junior team of Red Bull. So they they're just linked to Red Bull Racing, and Red Bull basically pick a lot of their drivers through Torosso. So if you do well in Torosso, you'll go up to Red Bull, and Red Bull is obviously the faster of the two teams. Torosso this season have gone with Danny Kvyat. Which, if you know F1, you will know that he did race for Red Bull for a spell, actually, in Torosso before that. I mean, after that for a period. I think he didn't race in the sport last season. He was a test driver for Scuderia Ferrari. But he's come back in now. And Alexander Albon, I think he's representing Thailand. But he also has British kind of heritage in there as well, I don't know, he might have been born in um, Britain, I'm not percent sure, but Albon from F2, the lower tier, and Danny Kvyat coming back for another shot at Formula 1, 
it'll be interesting to see how they both perform I suppose as well it's a bit of a you know hard one to to predict Tauros I think from practice look quite good for pace I think Kvyat's actually been quite high up the standings in both times I think he was 7th in FP1 and then 11th in FP2 which is still quite good to be honest I mean, that suggests they might be around the points. Again, it's hard to read anything from practice, 100%. But that would be the indication for Kvyat. Well, I think Albon's a bit more behind his teammate. Um, so, I mean, if I had to say someone, Kvyat has a lot more experience. Um, he's been in the Red Bull. He's been in old incarnations of the Tauros. So, plus Albon is just starting up. So, I mean, especially the first few races. Um... In particular, I'd give the advantage in this duel to Danny Kvyat. The Taurus, actually, I mentioned liveries. That's the same as last year's. I think a lot of people didn't really like that, but it's a very nice design. And I'm always a bit like... Uh, I don't know, really, when... Um, the team's not changing their liveries. It's always nice when they kind of change them up a bit. The Williams I quite like. It's kind of a white and then a light kind of ocean blue around. I think it looks quite good. And then the Force India is a mix of pink, dark blue, white, which I don't didn't really like the look of initially, but I think on track it looks better. Really. And on to Alfa Romeo, although the F1 page has Sauber on their team's profile. So that's wrong as well. But yeah, they have Kimi Raikkonen moving down from Ferrari. And Antonio Giovinazzi. Giov Giovinazzi? If I pronounced that right, I think it was Giov Giovinazzi. I think they found out. Um, again, you'd give this one to Raikkonen. I think Giovinazzi's rated generally quite highly, but I also think he's been, I think, waiting for a shot, a shot in an F1 car for a while. I think he's raced two, I think he raced two times last season or the year before because Pascal Verlein was injured and this was also, at, you know, that was in the Sauber. So pretty much the same team. Um, but I'd expect Raikkonen to be on top of him. I mean, Raikkonen was quite underperforming compared to Vettel last year. But you would expect the driver of Raikkonen's experience, a former world champion, to better um, someone who's only going to be racing in his third Formula 1 race in the in the 2019 Australian Grand Prix. So, I'm not actually sure what Giovinazzi was doing last year. Pumi was probably a test driver for someone. But yeah, that's, that's what I'd expect. I mean, the Sauber looks generally quite nice again. I think a lot of people like it more than I do, but, it, you know, white and red. The halo is red as well. I think the onboard of it looks quite nice, so... There, there as well, Alfa Romeo, uh, I think, got a relationship with Ferrari as well. Partly why they are higher up the, the stand-ins again. So, I don't know, I've seen, I think, Sky Sports and, you know, their team and whoever criticise it. But at the end of the day, um, Sauber, at, you know, before were at the back of the grid, they've entered this relationship with Ferrari as Haas have, and it's meant they're not at the back of the grid, they're, you know, able to fight for points. Um, and especially with how costly F1 can be, it's not a bad thing at all. Not a bad thing at all, you know, so... Yeah, next up, the team's list is McLaren. Obviously going through a bit of a bad spell for quite a few years ever since they switched to the Honda engine, so they, even before that, I think they went off a bit. I, I, I think at the time they should have stuck with Honda. I said it at the time. I, I think it was a good move 
by Red Bull to move to Honda. I don't care what anyone says on this matter. I honestly think Honda are quite a bit better than Renault. I saw a lot of, you know, I suppose it's just trolls or whatever. Um, people criticising um, Red Bull moving to Honda. But for the reliability and stuff, I, I never really understood it at all, that argument, because Renault were having, I think, more reliability issues at the end of last season. The amount of times Ricardo had to retire because of something engine-related and stuff like that. And I don't think Honda were really having that much. And Honda showed, you know, noticeable improvement in the engine throughout last season. And for me, are a lot more keen and they've shown a lot more determination and will willingness willingness to improve their engine package for the team than Renault have. Renault have been quite mediocre for about a five year stretch, I suppose ever since the change to the current kind of era of uh, I think the hybrid type engines in I think it was probably twenty fifteen. Um, Renault have done nothing since then to improve the engine pretty much. It's been just standardly bad and standardly, you know, a lot of failures ever since. And I think, you know, I, I think with me, Renault are you know, a bit like flogging a dead horse, as the expression goes. You know, Renault are quite kind of like, yeah, yeah, we'll improve. You know, it'll get better. You know, not fully committing to it. And, you know, I think they have, they're throwing more money and more staff into their F1 project. Um, this year and in recent years trying to improve they've got a five-year plan um, to try to get better and I hope they do get better mainly c to give Ricardo, who's moved from Red Bull um, for this season I I'd like to see him get a fair shot at a championship but I you know it's one of those things that maybe a little bit too good to be true I, I think Renault are just I mean more so the engine is just a bit you know you know, I think Red Bull could have stayed and done the stable thing and stayed with Renault. You know, people don't really like change, so that's probably why some of these people are complaining. But I think Honda, you know, I think Honda are a lot more like, yeah, yeah, you know, we'll really try and, you know, improve the engine, yeah. I mean, Honda, for me, when there was a problem, they looked a lot more kind of disappointed and showed a lot more, as I said before, courage and bravery and all of these, you know, strong traits to try to change things. Or Renault were just quite passive and just not really, like, not bothered. Like, it's, you know, something to be expected that the engine would fail. And that's not good enough. And I think McLaren thought of a short term to go with, to be quite honest, a bit of a shitty engine or at least, you know, a middle ground engine instead of, you know, thinking of the long term and staying with Honda. And I honestly think they should have done that. I think I said something about it at the time. Um... And I think it it was a bit of a knee-jerk decision because results were going poorly and they're under pressure to do something about it. And I think, it you know, it's a very powerful thing to have your own engine. And that's what Honda have given Red Bull and Torosso were testing it, were using it the year before, which has also allowed Red Bull to gather data on it and various things. And, you know, overall, I think it's just, you know, better. And Honda seemed to have a much better kind of open working relationship was I don't think the relationship between Red Bull and Renault was ever really anything you know it got quite brittle and fragile last season so you know you know I, I honestly think it was and I did say at the time I'm not just saying that I did Honda for me are a lot better long term than you know Renault I think you know as I said McLaren's made the knee jerk decision and they, they'd been with Honda for two three years and just Throwing away all that pro, pro, that progress. I know you know two three years. It's a long time, but it's F one. You don't make, you know, unless there's a strong re regulation change. I mean, this year's had quite a, quite a big regulation change, but not you know, it's not really shaken up the grid too much from what we can tell so far. But F one for me, you've got to think of a long term. And McLaren, as I said, it was a bit of a knee jerk decision, but. They've gone with two new drivers for this season. Carlos Sainz, who was inadvertently the Renault, one of the Renault drivers last season, did a decent job. Boy, didn't quite stand out. Holkenberg is a very kind of established, accomplished driver, a bit like Perez, but you know, probably never going to get shot at you know the big teams. But he 
knows what he's doing pretty much. And then they also went with, I think, the F2 champion from last season. I think Lando won it. Lando Norris. So this will be an interesting battle with a rookie. Again, I'd probably fancy Carlos Sainz, especially in the first few races, to put his stamp mark across Lando Norris and to outdrive him in the first stage of the season. But Lando Norris clearly has some potential. He won F2 in quite convincing fashion. So I would expect them both you know, to be fairly competitive. Sainz has something to prove. I think after last season, and Carlos Sainz needs to have a bit of a strong season anyway, because if the McLaren gets better, there's every chance, every chance next season that Fernando Alonso, the former two-time world champion, could come back and reclaim his seat, and then they'd have to choose between who would go, Sainz or Norris. I think Sainz is the more likely Norris's regarded quite highly as a skilled driver. Um and yeah the McLaren car looks quite nice. They've gone for the orange again in the blue. It's kind of the new look, the new branding they've gone with it works quite well. We'll move on to the next team which is Haas, the American team. They change their design their livery quite radically with a, a black and gold type design which is quite nice. It's quite a a cool change. I think when they revealed that they were sponsored by Rich Energy, I think, like, the day before the launch. So it was quite obvious that they were maybe going to do a, bl- a black and gold livery, but, you know, it works out quite well. It's nice to see a change. I mean, I think they were had quite a good livery before. Good colours. You know, they've gone unchanged for this season with Roman Grosjean and Kevin Magnussen. I expect these two to be quite close again. They're both... They're they're good talented drivers, but they are a bit error prone. I think probably especially Grosjean. I think Grosjean struggled to get any points in the first stage of last season, and it, it, actually last season as well, I think we were kind of fourth and fifth at some point in the race, and then they messed up their pit stops, didn't attach the tires properly, so that meant they both failed to finish, and they lost a lot of points there. I think it was a part of a new F1 documentary on Netflix. did see the first two episodes of that. It was covered a bit on there. But I think this is a hard one to call. I mean, I'd maybe edge towards Grosjean a little bit. I think Grosjean is a quite a fast driver, but as I said, he is just quite prone to mistakes. Similar to Magnussen, really. I think it's hard to put it. I mean, if I had to say anyone, I'd probably say Grosjean. On a pace perspective. So they're both a little bit error prone. You'll see mistakes in them this season. Renault, next team up the list. That yellow and blue livery remains. I think it's pretty much unchanged. Nico Hulkenberg retained his place in the team. As I said before, very accomplished driver. Very solid driver to have in the team. And then they also have Daniel Ricciardo, who's taken quite a risk moving to Red Bull to Renault but I think it's the right move for him but whether or not it'll pay off because I think Red Bull rightly or wrongly clearly favoured Verstappen over him and preferred Verstappen over him and I think he's a good enough driver to go somewhere else and stamp his mark and hopefully as I said Renault will get better for him more than any. I mean I'd expect him to probably outrace Holkenberg generally throughout the season, but Holkenberg won't be an easy rider. You know, an easy opponent to run over, and a bit of an underrated driver probably. Got a pole position before in Brazil many many years ago in the in the Williams, so it's certainly not going to be plain sailing maybe for Danny Rick. Red Bull again, of course they didn't really change their livery. They did reveal a launch livery, which is, I think, quite exotic, let's say. I think some people quite liked it. I thought it was all right. I didn't think it was anything as good, you know. It was nice, but it was a bit too chaotic. Max Verstappen retains his seat, of course. And Pierre Gasly was promoted from Toro Rosso. 
I'd expect Verstappen to... I don't think anyone really expects Gasly to outperform Verstappen. Um, Gasly did well last season, but the gap... The seat was made available by Daniel Ricciardo leaving. So, he's... <laughs> oh, you're on it. Excuse me. Um, Gasly is there because Ricciardo is leaving. So, I mean, he's a good driver, got potential, but I think he'll need time to probably get adjusted in the car and to get going. So, but, it'll, you know, it'll be interesting to see how he goes and how he'll eventually measure up to Verstappen. Ferrari changed delivery a little bit. I mean, it's obviously still red. It wouldn't be any other car. I think they changed the paint. They were saying today to a more matte um, kind of type. I don't really know what the actual definition would be. Um, apparently because it uses less weight. I think matte is just basically, it's not as shiny. So, you know, I don't know how much that will help them. You need every single millisecond in F1. But, you know, quite a nice design. Red and black, you know, looks a bit more, I think, angry. It gives off that kind of impression. Sebastian Vettel. Retaining his seat, I think, for like the fourth or fifth consecutive season. He's been there a while now. Um, again, Vettel's come close in the last two seasons. He's going to hope and want to win his fifth World Championship this season. I hope he does. Um, if Leclerc were to win the drivers, I wouldn't mind. Although it would probably spell the end of Vettel, I think. I mean, I, d- I, mean, I don't really know when he'd want to retire and stuff, but I think... If Leclerc were to come in in first season, beat him, I think it would be like a complete dynamic shift where I don't think he'd quite be viewed as a top, top driver anymore. But then he's still a full-time world champion, so... But, you know, it's the same thing with, you know, other sports. I can think of a certain Portuguese manager who just left the club I support where you can't just rely on your past accolades in sport. You can't. It's about the future and what you've done in recent years, you know, the present... And Vettel needs to have a strong season this season. He's under pressure, I think, to do something. I mean, Hamilton, I mean, mainly because of Hamilton, you know, Hamilton's just been sublime and he's struggled to really cope with him. But, I mean, overall, you know, you would expect, the expectation is that Vettel will be faster than Leclerc and get more points than him throughout the season. Ferrari have said they're likely to favour Vettel if the situation arises that they need to. But Leclerc is very, very highly rated, very, very quick as he proved in Sauber last season of some miraculous some miraculous performances. You know, this kid from Monaco is gonna be good. He is gonna be good. Whether or not he is up to the level this season to win the Drivers Championship, only time will tell, but I you know, I really I mean I I, I think he'll give Vettel a very hard time this season and it could potentially cause some friction. I mean, I think Vettel gets a lot of criticism for being a bit of a... You know, I think people view him as quite an angry guy and all these... I think it's a bit of a misrepresentation. If you see Vettel in the driver's press conferences, he's very chill, very relaxed. Um, you know, I think Vettel gets a bit of a bad rep. It's similar to Hamilton. Hamilton can sometimes be a bit agitated, but, you know, generally he's quite chill in the... Drivers press conferences, however, with any human being on earth, it's where you you know catch us. Sometimes we can be quite angry and whatever. You know, sometimes for not much of a reason. Other times we can be quite positive and quite chill. So you know, I think it's just because the Azerbaijan thing a few years ago, um, which kind of got people on his back a bit. You know, I don't think he's that you know bad at all. He, I I think he comes across quite well, but I'm probably obviously a bit biased and a bit sympathetic towards him, but. I mean, he seems like my type of person, so... But, you know, basically we would expect Vettel to be quicker than Leclerc, but I... Yeah, I mean, that's the expectation, but I, I do think Leclerc is a very, very big threat, very, very dangerous to Sebastian Vettel this season. Up to the top dogs. I think, as I mentioned earlier, only one of two teams not to change their driver lineup. It really was... All change, all busy, busy, busy in the summer. This, well, not in, well, in the summer as well, because, you know, teams were making changes before the season ended, but in the summer and winter, it was very busy. But Mercedes, I mean, basically the same design in their livery. 
in their colours. I think they used the green on the silver a little bit differently. They made their halo the same colour as the overall car. Silver as well. I'm just watching now. Actually, Albon has another crash. Not a crash, but he goes off in the Torosso into turn, I think it's 15. On the grass, a bit poor. Yeah, it's 10.15. Yeah, Albon looks a bit... He's clearly a good driver. I think he was third in F2. But the pressure's got to him a little bit. And hopefully he doesn't end up like Brendan Hartley. Who I think, to be honest, maybe deserved another shot this season. But I think that, it, you know, I think when a team has a doubt about a driver, that means their time's up, to be honest, because I can't trust them. I think that was the case with Hartley. I mean, I, if I was him, I might have kept Hartley and instead of Kvyat, so I thought it was maybe a bit pointless bringing Kvyat back when they got rid of him in the first place. But, you know, I hope Kvyat does well. It's nice to see. It's always nice to see a driver get back to the grid after losing the, a drive for a year or two because it's such a hard thing to do come back to F1 especially if you're one of the newer, younger drivers, you know. Because almost if you're discarded by one of these lower mid-table type teams, you know, your view is not good enough across, you know, the paddock. So, yeah, Albon looks like he's under a bit, you know, feeling a bit of pressure maybe on his first race. Really, I mean, that probably confirms my assumption that I think Kvyat will outperform him this season. Though, as I'd hopefully, you know, I don't know, <laughs> I don't think Taras have too many other drivers to choose from her rigs. I think part of the reason they brought Kvyat back and part of the reason they brought in Albon was because they didn't really have that many other options. I think Albon was announced as their other driver alongside Kvyat quite late on, so, yeah. Yeah, yeah but, yeah, we'll talk about Mercedes. I think I've already kind of made my point clear on Bottas. You don't expect him to really challenge Hamilton that much. Hamilton is a five-time, five-time world champion for a reason. As much as I do, sometimes he does sometimes annoy me. Um, he he is a five-time world champion. You can't really argue that. To be perfectly honest, he, as I said before, is so relentless for me. He makes so little mistakes. When he does make mistakes, they don't matter. He did in uh, qualifying in Brazil a few. I think last the year before last, but he'd already won the championship. It didn't really matter. He still came rumping through the field anyway because they were able to put a new engine in and stuff like that. Generally quite easy overtakes. Um, yeah, as I said, when he makes mistakes, they don't really tend to matter. They don't really tend to impact him that much. Whilst if you look at Sebastian Vettel, when he made mistakes last season, it cost him dearly. And that's the difference. And on the big occasion in races, Hamilton barely ever makes a mistake. I'm not even sure if he DNF'd last season. He probably didn't. I know, I think in 2017 he didn't DNF. He might have done last season. I think he maybe did last season. I can't remember for sure. But I said, Hamilton's just so relentless. It's going to take something special, uh, you know, for someone to knock him off his perch this season. I think, you know, Ferrari will have to have the much faster car or... You know, luck will have to side with the Ferrari over the Mercedes. I mean, Red Bull look like they're in with a shout, but they're not quite on the same level as Mercedes and Ferrari again from the looks of it. But, you know, starting the season, they're a lot closer, I think, than they were last season. And Australia, it's a bit more twisty, turny corners. It should be a track that should help them a bit in that regard, but then you do still need engine power. But Honda look more competitive, so it might not be... As much a problem as it was with the mediocre Renault engine from previous years. But yeah, Hamilton, I would very much expect to, unless something crazy happens, like luck rise or just something, you know, momentum just goes against them or something, I would expect Hamilton to completely do Bottas in. Bottas probably will have his last season in the Mercedes this year. The expectation is that Ocon will go into the car the young French driver next season. So it'll be interesting to see what, you know. I think Bottas almost has to do well this season so that, you know, to say I'm still, you know, a good driver basically and to see who will take him the year after. I presume he'll want to stay in F1, but I don't know what the options will be. 
he'll have to lower his pay his pay demands probably as well. But yeah, Hamilton, Fassel and Bottas. I think this segment's been much longer than the last. I don't think there's really anything else to mention that I've not mentioned. I feel like this has worked quite well this episode. I've been talking quite I think freely and well throughout. So we'll move on to the outro and yeah. This is it for the main part of the episode. So in today's episode, we obviously I talked about um, the new Formula One season, gave my thoughts on you know the changes a little bit to the sport, and more so about the driver lineups. You know how it's gonna go, those sort of things. I hope you enjoyed listening. Again, you know whether or not you know that much about F One or whatever. You know if you did manage to <laughs> sit for all the episode or whatever, but you know. You know, as I said, for me, this is kind of like, you know, I I like to do the podcast about different things, you know, share my range of interests to, you know, share them with you and, you know, to hopefully broaden your horizons as kind of a little bit, you know, the catchphrase is gone. So, as you know, always, thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. And hopefully, hopefully I'll see you in the next one. Cheers. Hi, thank you for taking time out of your day to listen to The Ollie Patrick Show. It's very much appreciated. If you'd like to keep up to date with the show, please follow me on Twitter at UK Eagle Claw or subscribe through your podcast provider. Also, if possible, if you enjoy the show or whatever, please leave a review or you know DM me on Twitter or whatever to say about ways I can improve the show. I'm only starting out, so anything, any help is appreciated. Thanks again.